This morning, I thought um, what might be good for us is look at this fact of water baptism. I don't do this. We have a water baptism class, but uh, I got to thinking uh, we do a lot of things in church that can become simply tradition and lose meaning. Uh, a lot of traditions baptize, right? Do Presbyterians baptize? They think they do. I mean, they're children, Lutherans, of course, Catholics. There's a lot of traditions, uh, Church of Christ. Uh, I mean, a lot of people practice baptism as they understand it. The understanding varies, and uh, you need to know why do we baptize? Why does the Bible say to baptize? You know, on one way, it's kind of a silly kind of thing to watch women's hairdo go up uh, in a tank of water. You know, it, it, that, come on, what, what's this uh, water going under? I mean, if you didn't know meaning, it's just like taking juice and a piece of bread. If you don't know meaning, if you don't know meaning, it can be a vain tradition. And so I thought we would just give an outline of what the Bible says about it. Why do we do this stuff? And if we don't have any Bible for it, let's cut it out. Let's just quit it because it'd be meaningless. Uh, turn to the book of Acts. And uh, let's go on. A, uh, if there's pew Bibles there if, if you don't have one. But it'd be good because we're going to just be looking at many verses as we track this thing. Here we have the church begin on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. Uh, Peter does his first sermon, and he's preaching to the nation and the people of Jerusalem that just 40 days ago crucified Christ, the Messiah. So there are Jewish audience as a whole. Jews have gathered from all over the world uh, uh, for the Feast of Passover and, and Pentecost. And so it, the place is packed, and he preaches a sermon. You need to call on Christ, uh, admit you made a mistake about him. And then he wraps up his sermon, and he comes to verse 38 of Acts 2. Peter replied, talking to this audience, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, this is a great verse, but you'd be amazed at the different ways it's interpreted. Uh, one, there's a gr group that says you baptize only in Jesus' name because it uses Jesus' name. Now, didn't Jesus say baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit? Why didn't Peter say that? Because the issue with this audience is they claim to know God, but they didn't claim Jesus. The one they'd rejected 
the one that they crucified, and the one that says, no way, he said, you've got to repent and change your mind about Jesus Christ. And you've got to be baptized, and he uses a word for, F-O-R, for there, for the forgiveness of sins. Well, that's an interesting uh, little uh, word. It's a word, ice. We get the word exit, different word, but it's a preposition, and it can be translated for the purpose of, and that's a legitimate translation, for the purpose of or for the aim. So he could have been saying, some say, you got to be baptized in order that your sins be remitted. Is that what the rest of the Bible teaches? Water gets your sins forgiven. Does the book of John that says believe in Jesus Christ over a hundred times and never mentions water baptism once and believe and you will have eternal life. Now, can we add water? No. Hear me. In understanding the Bible, always interpret the difficult in light of the plain. You got a hundred verses in John, believe in Jesus and you will receive eternal life. The book of Romans, the gospel, the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation. Now listen to this, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul said, God sent me to preach the gospel and not baptism. I baptized some of you, but I'm a gospel preacher and I don't have to baptize anyone to preach the gospel. The gospel isn't Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, and you got to get baptized. That is not our gospel. Our gospel is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died, was buried, rose again. Through him you can be accepted to God. So the baptism is not for the purpose of remission. It's because of remission. You've repented. You've accepted this Jesus, and because of that, you ought to go public and be baptized in his name. In the same city where you killed him, denounced him, ridiculed him, we want to give you a public uh, way to go public and say, I believe in the Jesus we crucified. And they did. 3,000 were baptized that day. That's not too bad for your first sermon. <laughs> I've been trying to get those results. Uh, look at Acts 8. You've got Philip is caught away to go to Samaria. And can you imagine? I mean, the Jewish hatred for the Samaritans. And, and God tells him to go down there and preach to them. And uh, he preaches to them. And... Uh, even Simon the sorcerer uh, comes to Christ, and he was a great uh, enemy of the gospel. And, but verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They believed the message that Philip preached, and immediately, here we make them take a baptism class, uh, promise 20% of their income, uh, 
I mean, be perfect. I mean, it's amazing. They immediately baptized, immediately, because they knew they were accepting Christ. There's no question. We put people through a screening process because we get people from every background, every walk. We want to be sure they're born again. That's the reason for it. Because if you're truly a believer, water baptism is your right. You should be baptized. And so they were. Now, let's go over to uh, chapter 9. When Paul gets saved, God knocks him off this mule and gives him a vision brighter than the noonday sun. And uh, he's told uh, to go and wait for Ananias to come lay hands on him. And so we find him at verse 18. Well, pick up 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. Here he's filled with the Spirit, but there's no tongues. Several times in Acts, they were filled with the Spirit and no tongues. So tongues were necessarily a requirement to know that you were filled with the Spirit. Here's Paul. He's filled with the Spirit and no physical outward manifestation. He's just filled with the Spirit. I'll say this. If you get filled with the Spirit, he will change your tongue. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Just accepted Jesus Christ, baptized. Just like that. Look at chapter 10. Uh, Peter is told to go down and evangelize an Italian boy named Cornelius, a Roman soldier. He prayed to God. He was a devout man, uh, but he, he wasn't a Christian yet. And so this orthodox, strict Jew that doesn't want to have dinner with a Gentile, God has to bring a sheet down from heaven and say, don't call anything unclean that I call clean. You go see this Gentile. He goes there, and uh, he shares the gospel. And uh, eventually, look what it says in verse 46, uh, verse 47. In this case, uh, they spoke in tongues as evidence that they had the same Holy Spirit. Then Peter said, verse 47, surely no one, can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Spirit. You see, they're already saved. They've got the Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Look at chapter 16. This is the early church. They're evangelizing. The missionaries are going out. People are coming to Christ. And what happened immediately upon their confession? He preaches in the city of Philippi. Lydia puts faith in Christ. And uh, uh, when she put faith in Christ, verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. She receives Christ immediately, baptism. Look at verse 33. Philippian jailer 
comes to faith. They spoke the word of the Lord to him in verse 32. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Is that beautiful? Just saying, it was late at night. Could you imagine having a 12 o'clock at night water baptism right there in the house or in the jail, wherever they did it? You don't need a heated baptistry to get baptized. We heat it, nearly put suds in it. I mean, I grew up with people that were baptized in creeks, rivers, ponds. They, they could find water, uh, water troughs. I know guys have been baptized in tubs at home, bathing tub. Sequampatia was baptized in a bathing tub because he became a Christian in India in Punjab in a Sikh community that threatened to kill him for becoming a Christian. And he got a uh, pastor in India to baptize him in his tub. He wanted to go public that he knew Christ. And yet it was in the bathroom in a tub but he got baptized. Well, 18.3, in Corinth, they come to the Lord. I've got zeal, but I don't have the right verse. Anybody find the verse? Take my word for it. He baptized them. Read the rest of the chapter. What was it? Verse 8. Okay. Christmas, the synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord. Now, what if it said this? Christmas and his whole household were baptized, and later on they believed. That is never said that order. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. There are many baptized people in the church that have never been born again. They never put faith in Christ. And so it confuses baptism. Jesus commanded, I want my disciples, go disciple the nations, and while you're going, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I commanded you. Let us talk about different traditions of baptism that people have grown up with. Uh, I think no matter whether you're a Protestant tradition or Catholic tradition, uh, infant baptism is, is a part of much of Christianity's practice. Uh, Reformation people, uh, Anglican uh, tradition, uh, Roman Catholic, uh, what do you do? you got to get the infant baptized, sprinkled as soon as you can. Where did that come from? Even the uh, Reformation never left that. John Calvin, they sprinkled. Luther, they sprinkled. Infants. Uh, where, why don't we do that with infants? We don't believe it, but... Uh, why don't we believe it? See, that's the... 
so. Well, how did, how did godly, sincere men, because you've got an old Presbyterian, born-again Presbyterian, evangelical men, John Stott, uh, many godly men, they, they practice it. Why do they practice it? So let me give you some history background. Um, just a brief addition. In the 4th century, Augustine, a great, notorious, and famous, he was notorious for being a profligate before he was saved. His mother kept praying for him. He comes to Christ. He becomes the bishop of the North African church in Hippo, H-I-P-P-O. He's there, and he gets in a debate with another Catholic uh, bishop in North Africa by the name of Pelagius. They both got in a debate. They finally called a church council to resolve the conflict between the church. They're being split over it. And this was the argument they got into. Uh, Pelagius said, all children are born innocent and are born without being a sinner. And that they're not a sinner until they commit their first sin. That sounds good, doesn't it? Isn't that what you thought when you picked up the baby? There cannot be any sin here. Keep feeding them. (laughs) Keep clothing them. In time, they will sin. Now, Pelagius says, that's when they become a sinner. Like Adam and Eve in the garden. When they sinned, okay, they became a sinner. Augustine, on the other side, he argued, no, no, no. The Bible says we were born dead in sin. Uh, We were born identified with Adam. Uh, We were born guilty because of our identity in Adam. Pelagius said that is heresy, that is nonsense. You can't be blamed for what another man did. It's not fair to blame me for what Adam did. If you buy that argument, watch out now, Romans 5, 12 through 21. If you buy that argument, neither can you get credit for what another man did. Because God's put the whole human family under one of two men. You're either in the man that brought sin into the world or you're in the man who paid for sin and makes you acceptable to God. And his whole argument is, I died in Adam. I died. And guess what the argument was? Even before there was the law of Moses, people physically died. There was no law to break. And yet we were still burying babies. How can you be burying the innocent? There were sinners. And death visited the entire human family because of Adam. Your baby can die. Infant mortality. How? Death is a result of sin. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death unless you get in the second man, Christ. And that's the argument of Romans 5. Some don't like the identification 
that condemns me, but that has to be as true for you to be justified in another man. See, so that tension, so Augustine gets in this battle with Pelagius and says, no, our children are born sinners. Question came up in his mind, how can we guarantee the safety of the child if the child should die? What if my child dies? I want to know where they're going to be. So out of that, they practice infant baptism, but with this theology. This protects my child and guarantees they're not going to be in hell like the pagan children. Pagan's children, they understood, are lost. But if a Christian mom and dad get theirs baptized, we put them under a safety net. And even Protestants argue, they use this argument, 1 Corinthians 7, 15, that when an unsaved man lives with a saved woman, what does the Bible say? The home is sanctified. Did you hear that? Just, and it tells that saved woman, don't leave your unsaved husband. Because otherwise your children would be considered unclean. But with the presence of one child of God in that marriage, husband or wife, you're having the sanctifying effect over your children in that home. So just protect those offspring. So there is an argument there, and your reformers use that, the presence. And so the parents can sanctify these children and have a uh, saving effect. And so we're going to baptize them, sprinkle them. And so the motive was sincere. The, mo the motive was to, but here's the problem. When you read Acts, there's no record of any infant ever being baptized. There is no record of any unbeliever ever being baptized. That baptism followed your profession of faith. Now, let me tell you more than you want to hear. Uh, in church history, after the Reformation, there was a group that sprung up in Switzerland and Germany that became known as Anabaptists, which was a cuss word. The reformers despised them. Luther called them heretics. Most of the reformers called them heretics. They were the uh, uh, predecessors to Mennonites and to Baptists. And they took on the name Anabaptists, A-N-A Baptists. But why Anna? Anabaptists, Anabaptists. The word ana is a Greek word that means again, to be baptized again. Why do you get baptized? Hey, I was baptized as an infant. Were you born again? No. Had you professed faith? No. Had you taken Christ as your Savior? No. Well, your baptism is invalid. It destroyed the message it was meant to convey. That you are identifying yourself 
See, baptism from the Jews and early church. If I was baptized into Moses, 1 Corinthians 10.1, they were baptized into Moses. I'm identified with Moses. 1 Corinthians 12.13, I've been baptized into the body of Christ. What does that mean? I've been identified with Jesus Christ. My new identity before God, and it's so real. Now, now, this is no little myth. It's so real that Galatians says, when God sees you, he doesn't see gender, he doesn't see your economic base, and he doesn't see your ethnicity. There's neither male nor female. There's neither rich nor poor, Greek nor barbarian or Jew. All of those distinctions are out with him. He says, I'm looking to see if you've been identified with my son. Do I see someone I can treat like my son? Because when you're in Christ, he treats you like he treats his son. In a shouting church, they'd be shouting. But you're a tame church. Or you don't get it. My identity is I'm in Christ. And everything God wants to give a sinner, he can now give me because my identity is there. Now, baptism, water baptism, was simply a simple way, and the Jews already practiced it. They'd seen John the Baptist do it, okay? That I'm going to be identified publicly by profession with this Christ, with John the Baptist, whoever's name I'm being baptized in, I am making, that's my identity. So we don't accept uh, infant baptism as valid New Testament baptism. We're Anabaptist. We're Anabaptist. Uh, you need to be baptized again. And you know what? I, it's really moving. I think of some of the women in this church. I remember one morning, Don Andrews' mother came up. She must have been in her 80s, been at a Richmond Presbyterian church for years. I mean, uh, a, a, a wonderful woman and, you know, my, not out of the way. She came up one Sunday when she said, I, I need to receive Christ. I said, wait, wait, wait. You, you want, she said, I, I'm really not saved today. God showed me I'd never really been born again. Amen. Now, she's in her 80s, I believe, at that time. I said, wow. We prayed. She received Christ. I baptized her in her 80s. In her 80s. A Francis Sylvester. Good old devout Presbyterian girl. Baptized young. Baptized her. And with her, I held her under longer. <laughs> She's feisty. Um, I think of a woman that came one morning, gray headed. I'm thinking of these gray headed stories. I forget the woman, I think her name was Eleanor. I preached on a boat for a rainy day. Never forget it about Noah and the ark. And my invitation was, would you like to get on board a ship that will protect the day of judgment? And she came up. She said, I'd like to get on board. 
she accepted Christ, we baptized her, and buried her within six months. But she went to heaven because she's on board. She was on board. She was on board. So I would ask you this. Have you been baptized since you profess Christ? Jesus said uh, in Mark 8.38 and Luke 9.16, if you're ashamed to own me publicly before men, I'll be ashamed to own you before my Father. And... Uh, God doesn't believe in secret disciples. We used to tell the story when I grew up about the boy that uh, was in the youth group, and for the summer he's going to work up at a logging camp, and uh, everybody was concerned being with a bunch of rough, tough men, and this uh, young person, you know, wasn't that old, and they were afraid of these men hurting him or corrupting him and persecuting him for being a Christian. And when he came back from the summer job working with the forestry guys, uh, they, they inquired quickly, man, man, how did it go? Did, did they persecute you? Did? He said, no problem. I made it all summer without them even knowing I was a Christian. <laughs> no problem. Does anyone know that you're a Christian? Have you ever gone public? That's not easy. I was saved eighth grade, went into Helms in ninth grade. It was torture to pray over my food at the cafeteria. I thought I felt like all I, and how did I do? I'd learned to pray for it on the way, pray, you know. Uh, I don't want anyone to see me pray over my food. They might think I'm a Christian. They can't tell by your driving. Don't put Bell in the back, Valley Bible Church. <laughs> we, we don't want that kind of advertisement. Uh, and I just ask you, uh, if you put faith in Christ, I don't care what age you are, and you've never gone and obeyed him, baptize him, get baptized in obedience to Christ. And I just think of, uh, could you imagine not wanting the public to know that you belong to Christ. Compare that down here versus him introducing you up there. Uh, imagine you're being saved. God, I saved this guy and everything, and we're going to get him here by grace and because of the cross. But I have to tell you, Father, he was always ashamed he knew me down there. He didn't want anyone to know that he knew me. You know, it's like keeping from your family that you're engaged because you, the girl is so homely and such a terrible personality, you don't want your family to meet her. You know, she's kind of a scorched cat that needs attention. <laughs> or, you mean, that's who you want to marry? That's who you're ashamed of? You wouldn't introduce your bride? To your parents? You want to say, folks, this is who I, I like to marry. And think of the Lord Jesus. 
It's wonderful to own him when he's feeding 5,000 people. It's real tough when they're dragging him off to Pilate's Hall to say you still know him. We used to sing a song, I'll be a friend to Jesus, my life for him I'll spend. I'll be a friend to Jesus until my years shall end. He stood alone within Pilate's hallways. It'd go on to these different deals. I'll be a friend to Jesus, my life for him I'll spend. I'll be a coward for Jesus. No, 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 no. Take this whole world. Take it all. Take it all. I don't need to be in People Magazine. I'm in Lamb's Book of Life, honey. I don't need People Magazine. Keep it. Keep it. All this world of charm and waste and treachery. I tell you, I belong to another king, another kingdom, and this age is going to pass like a vapor in the night. And when we get over there, we're going to say, Woo, I'm so glad I owned him. You better believe it. You better be glad you owned him. It's going to, all this is going to end popularity, peer pressure, and I want to be liked. Oh, honey, after high school, they won't know you in three months. Anybody go to your class reunion? I drove to Carolyn's class reunion out of Boundary Oaks, and I went in. She's waiting in the car. And I came back, I said, honey, we're in the wrong place. Everybody in that place is fat or gray-headed. <laughs> it was her class. Yeah. And, and then we went to another one. I've never gone back to Richmond High. I didn't hardly have any anyway. About five, five gals I knew that went to Baptist church down in Richmond, Roosevelt. I think not Roosevelt, it's 22nd Street. And I didn't lose anything at Richmond High. I had to go to school, so I went. But we didn't love the same things. They loved all this. They loved sin. I fell in love with Jesus. I wasn't ashamed of him. Tenth grade, boys began to pick them. I fought all the way through school. It's a little scrapper I had to in Richmond. You have to learn to fight. You don't have any choice. And uh, I got 10th grade, and all of a sudden, this young black boy wants to knock around on me. Most of my black friends from Parjester already knew me. They stood up, and one knocked me around. I said, I'm not afraid of you, but I've come to know Jesus. I don't fight anymore. And he kept pushing me around. It was so wonderful when Reverend Dotson son from Parjester Village, who was a Golden Gloves boxer in, North, in Point Richmond. And, and, and Richard said, get the word out to all the bros that I take all your fights. We know when you got saved. We know when you got saved. And then a big old tall white boy said, I'll take the white boys. 
I said, good, you boys, I'm just going to refer them to you. <laughs> just refer them out. You want to hit on me? I said, go see Richard. Hit me. Go see, go see Charles. I want to tell you, have you gone public? It's more than baptism. Don't put light under a bushel. This world desperately needs a light. And if you've not been water baptized since you put faith in Christ, get with it, brother, sister. You've got a great blessing in store, and this church will go up in smoke as you obey the Lord. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I didn't pray, but you're dismissed. God bless you.